Greetings, citizens of Earth. You are barking a happy tune with my pal Smurf of Smurf and the Magic Tones on 5280 Geek. Studios, it is Weekend Geek Update. Smurf here. Happy Halloween. It is a glorious day out there. Gonna go give some candy to some goblins and ghouls running about the neighborhood. But before that, let's get you caught up with going on the Geekverse. Uh, we are sponsored by Dragon Meadery, who is an amazing crafter of fine mead and wonderful spirits. Link in the description below. Go check them out. Have a little sample. They are amazing. They are also one of our sponsors for the Colorado Festival of Horror, um, who will be coming back next year with a new wine for us, which we, we haven't announced yet, but we will not to worry. But in the meantime, let's close out October. Let's see what's going on. Some of the stuff that's caught my eye. There's a lot, and actually mail. I've been uh, busy doing events across the country of course and then in town with halloween uh, have having to do my ghostbuster duties you know it's it's just a thing so did a couple trunk or treats did a couple cons and now we 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 are at the the end of the road coming coming to the end of the season there's only a couple of cons left here in town and one of them is the all seas fan expo which uh, i will be tabling at red will be tabling at rocky mountain con and then i think uh that's i think that's the last con for us and then it's hiatus time i get a break <laughs> yay oh no actually there is one more con that i will not be tabling at but i will be attending uh, and that is... Wait. Yes. Brett, Leader One, and I will be there. It's Black Friday, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, it'll be running at the Denver Marriott Tech Center, November 24th through the 26th. Of course, I'm talking about Galacticon. It's their inaugural year. So, figured, uh, let's go check it out. Because I was supposed to go to San Francisco for Fan Expo. But uh, I decided I don't I don't want to. <laughs> I'm I'm tired I'm I'm tired I don't want to travel. Not to mention, so I was looking at the uh, San Francisco plan, and I might still do it. I haven't decided. Uh, but I know my mom will kill me if I'm not here for Thanksgiving. There's just rules. And looking at it though, the Mark Hamill experience for Fan Expo San Francisco, I'm very very tempted with. Since he is literally like, well, not the last mainstay from the original Star Wars trilogy. I mean, we saw Billy D. Williams, of course, Lando Calrissian, but I mean, and and Wedge, Wedge is still around, but of like the core characters, Luke is is the last one standing. So I was very, I'm very tempted to do this, but the, it's a little costly. I mean, holy crap! The ultimate Mark Hamill experience is a grand. Uh, and it just, 
Yowzers. So what do you get for $1,000? Which is an excellent question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, you start off with reserved seating for uh, Mark Hamill Live, which is only one person. You get a priority photo op, which is up to four people. So you can kind of split that up. You get a pre-signed 8x10 Star Wars Episode Four New Hope photo. And then you get an exclusive Mark Hamill lanyard. I don't know about you, but that just seems a little... Yeah, ouch. Um, If that's too much for you, and I get that, you you can go $500 and get the uh, just the Mark Hamill experience, which is a uh, gold ticket to Mark Hamill live for just one person, and then a pre-signed 8x10 Star Wars episode for a New Hope photo. So I don't think, in looking at this, I don't think he's really doing any other signings for uh, in those exclusive packages. Because looking at how this breaks down, autographs. So the the autograph price um, is four hundred bucks. Uh, and then the premium includes comic books, raw or ungraded books, magazines, and anything else. Uh, 11 by 14 or 11 by 17 photos, mini posters, and stuff like that. If you want to do larger items, then it's $700. So Mark Hamill's looking for a photo, 8 by 10, 400 bucks. <sighs> I'm definitely in the wrong business, guys. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the photo ops, which is up to two people, $400. Uh, four is four hundred and fifty. Now I understand he is, you know, Luke Skywalker, but holy crap! And then this is what really got me because this is this is what uh, made me really rethink going to San Francisco because I was just like, eh, Mark Hamill was was good, but Owen McGregor is now there, and I'm like. Why can't we get Obi-Wan? Come on, what the hell? The Owen McGregor experience with the Ultimate Package only comes in at $800. So you get, again, the live for just one person wearing guaranteed uh, Owen McGregor in-person autograph, uh, an item of your choice, which is kind of nice, uh, professional photo op with him, uh, and of course you get priority access for that, so you get to cut to the front of the line, or as close to it as you can, uh, an Owen McGregor lanyard, uh, digital photo, which is a nice perk, um, and uh, a, a, an official sticker to, to authenticate your photo. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't... Mm, mm, mm. I don't know. If you just want his autograph, though, uh, it's 250 bucks, And uh, for the for an 8x10. Any other item is 300 So he'll sign, you know, your photo for 250 But if you want that carded figure or whatever item that you may or may not have that... Uh, looks close to him. I'm not saying that I have uh, an, an Ewan McGregor uh, sideshow bust that I would probably have him sign. Of course not. That would just be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but that's that's what you're looking at. So I may or may not be going to San Francisco. I'm still on the fence. But if you are here in Colorado with me, you can come and join us at Galacticon, which will be running at the, I believe, um, Marriott Tech Center, 
which used to be the home for uh, the now retired Starfest. So come hang out. Brett Leader and uh, uh, Brett Leader One and I will be at the bar. <laughs> we'll be there with Kendall. We will be drinking. <laughs> Kendall takes such good care of us. We were there uh, this last weekend for Mile High Con, which you may have seen some of the photos on the Facebook page. If you haven't, go check that out. Uh, it's the longest-running literary con in Colorado. Hit 55 years this year. And it's just kind of fun. Get to hang out, talk to some, some authors. Also this week, and I'll post these up on our Instagram, hung out at Spawn Con on Sunday, which was better than I thought it was going to be. I, I mean... I have a red spawn for ages. I really, I mean, after, I don't know, I think it was like issue 28 or 30 that I was just fed up with him laying in an alley bitching and I just was like, okay, I'm done. Uh, but going to the con, got to hang out with some artists and had a good time and it really, it really has actually kind of a lot of fun. So uh, look for those photos from uh, some of the authors and artists that we hung out with. Uh, did get to see Ben Templesmith, which I haven't been able to talk to him for, for a little while now, and uh, get caught up. Had to have him sign one of the Doctor Who forgotten covers that I didn't have him sign, so I was like, ah, why not? As far as my Spawn stuff, eh, I don't have nearly nearly as much stuff on that as I would like to think, so it's all good. What else is going on? So let's move on. To oh so speaking of Star Wars, the uh, Tales of the Jedi has announced its second season, and that they will be coming back sometime in 2024. But the reason this story caught my eye is because um, uh, it has what I'm thinking is going to be one of the best stories in it. General Balin Skull who, of course, was in Ahsoka, uh, Lord Balin, was amazing. And I think Sean Bean is going to be voicing his character in the Tales of the Jedi episode. But uh, I, I'm excited to see this. Evidently, this is just a few uh, years or moments or something that just before Order 66 hits. So I don't know if we get to see him in action during the Clone Wars as a general... I don't know if we're going to see him as uh, him converting over to the dark side. So, or if maybe it's just like a lead-in and we get more stories or how this is going to work out. I loved the Tales of the Jedi first season. I thought it was perfect. Um, just to have different excerpts, different pulls from stories that just kind of focused on different moments in time. We didn't need the full story, you know, the backstory or anything else like that. Just that particular moment, which worked really well. I thought it was great. The animation was even better as it changed from story to story. Again, like I said, very similar to uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Just that, that whole short story feel, I'm, I'm really digging so to see them do this for Tales of the Jedi, I, I'm absolutely excited. I'm jumping up and down inside because I love what they did with Balin. I think his character in Ahsoka was one of the most I don't authentic, one of the best thought out characters. I mean, everyone else just kind of seemed uh, okay. Everyone else just kind of fell into the typical tropes, but Balin. 
Balin had something just underneath the surface. We knew from the beginning he was operating on some other plan, some other other wavelength. And I want to I want to know more about this character because we literally don't have anything on him, at least that I am aware of. And maybe there's some story out there that I missed or some kind of uh, context that he's in. But I uh, I just I can't wait to dive in further with his character. So, uh, like I said, there is no date yet for uh, Tales of the Jedi Season 2. Uh, they're just saying 2024. I hope it's like at the beginning of 2024 and we don't have to wait too long. And speaking of release dates for the Doctor Who fans out there, we finally have a little bit more to go on. It looks like November 25th Fifth uh, is going to kick off the return of David Tennant and Catherine Tate and the 60th anniversary, which is already like everyone's celebrating this one. Everyone has jumped in. The fans are going nuts. Everyone's having a good time with it. So uh, it looks like November uh, 25th. Is that what I said? Yes. November 25th, the Star Beast uh, will be that episode. December 2nd, Wild Blue Yonder, with December 9th coming up with uh, The Giggle. Ooh. <laughs> All of this, of course, is leading into the Christmas special, Our New Doctor, who evidently is already filming Series 2, which I don't know if Series 1 is... Uh, obviously... Series 1 is done, but I don't know if they're counting these three episodes as Series 1, or, or or they already have a whole season done and in the can, and they're already working on number 2. I know uh, RTD really likes to get a schedule, pound out uh, everything that's necessary, and spend a little bit more time on like the editing and all of that, so... Well, we we will see. The 60th looks like they're even pulling in as many Doctor Who alum as possible. So, uh, excellent. Give us, give us to us all. I know they're doing a whole new Hooniverse. So they're going to be bringing, and I think it's kind of like more of a documentary style where they're bringing old doctors and old companions together to reminisce about, you know, back in my day and all of that. So it'll be nice to see kind of like a refresh, kind of let's let's get reacquainted with Doctor Who since uh, Chimnall absolutely ran everything into the ground. I'm not putting it all on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah. But there are, you know, those 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 things, you know, he just, uh, so bad, but 60 years, right around the corner, uh, I'm excited to see what they do, so keep an eye out for that, I don't know, it should be on, uh, I would think BBC, I don't know, the whole thing with the Disney deal is also kind of got me scratching my head, so I don't know if we're going to see this first on, uh, Disney Plus, or if it's going to show up later on Disney Plus, or if it's just going to be on BBC, so I'm going to uh, be doing some, some investigation on that. Speaking of Disney Plus, Loki has come out. Uh, series 2? I'm really on the fence about this. Let me explain why. I don't get it. There's just... I'm, I, 
I don't, I don't get, I mean, the first couple of episodes, Jesus Christ, they're all over the place. There is so much going on. They don't stop to explain anything. We, we don't understand what's going, there's nothing, there, there's no clue as far as what's going on. Why is this happening? What, what happened to just normal storytelling? And episode two is okay, but it's not really much better when you're looking at everything that's going on. And they don't stop to explain everything. And I'm not asking that you need to, you know, lay it out and Brent comes or, or, you know, dumb it down for me, but at least some kind of dialogue or a simple just throwaway line that you can kind of like, okay, because uh, we, we never really, like, get a handle on what's going on. Now, episode four had, gave, gives us a little redemption. There's a lot that uh, I want to see, though. There's a lot of things that I think can happen. And I'm not trying to give any spoilers, and I don't want to ruin it for everyone. Do I like Loki better than I did for season one? So far, yes. But I don't know if that's just simply because I'm more comfortable with this brand of storytelling, and there's things that I, I, I get, and we're kind of going in this interesting direction that has my attention. We haven't kicked Loki in the nads yet, so that kind of, you know, brightening my spirits. And I like that we've kind of gotten a little bit more of a foothold on Sylvie, that kind of story. What I really want to see uh, are the return of the other Lokis. That, I'm kind of, that's kind of what, what I'm, I'm really anxious to see. And I know that's bad, and I, I love uh, Tom as he delivers an, a magnificent portrayal of Loki. I love his swagger, I love his his confidence, I love his je ne sais quoi as he, you know, walks into a room, and he just he's just got the Loki persona down. And I think they're wasting it. I honestly think that there's so much more that we could see if they just took the time to 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 let let the story grow and 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 do it naturally i don't know where the story is going that's another great question but i again we're only at episode four we're about to hit the halfway point or we are at the halfway point i don't remember if we're doing eight or ten episodes this season but so far it's better like i said than season one We'll uh, we'll keep watching, and then I'll give you my 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 take on it, my final take on it, as we wrap up. But it's it's worth the watch if you can get past the first couple episodes. So we'll we'll keep you apprised. Going into the no, do I want to do comics? No, because there is a question. So I got mail, uh, and one of the questions that jumped out at me is the future of comics. And what, what my thoughts on that are. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, but that's kind of where I'm going before I do, though. <laughs> where in the world is Daryl Dixon? Dun, 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 dun. Add cheesy finding Carmen Sandiego music here. <laughs> Alright, so I watched... I finally got caught up on the Walking Dead Daryl Dixon series. And here's the synopsis and a quick take on it. What the hell? <laughs> there you go. There's my there's my there's my up to my my take on it. What the hell? Daryl Dixon is making rookie mistakes, mistakes you wouldn't expect him to make, and things that we saw in like the first two seasons of The Walking Dead. I can understand that you're in Paris. Yes, that's right. He's in Paris, and you're a bit you know dislocated. But I what the hell? I mean, 
so here's the quick rundown somehow Daryl ends on a boat Daryl ends up sinking said boat Daryl ends up washing up on the coastline and ends up in Paris uh, evidently there's an organization that is running short of walkers so they decide to start bussing them in from other places and somehow Daryl ends up on said boat there's a I, mm, where in the world is Daryl Diction today? That is a great question. I don't know. No one knows. But evidently, sooner or later, he, he's going to make it back to the United States because they're already talking about season two and putting him back with Carol, which is what they should have done to begin with. It should have been like Daryl and Carol's romantic uh, honeymoon as they rode off into the sunset on the back of Daryl's motorcycle. That is how the story should have ended. That is where it should have went. I love the the, the Daryl character, don't get me wrong. And I, like many of the fans, would have revolted if they had killed him. However, I don't think you're doing the character any justice by bussing him off to Paris and putting him in a situation that A, he doesn't need to be in, and why this is the way it is is another great question. I, uh, why? I think it's great. You're in Paris. Cool. There are some great opportunities of seeing the 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 pandemic. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, the the apocalypse in in other continents. I'm all for that. I I don't have a problem. We didn't get trapped in somebody's driveway. There are so many other stories to tell. However. Do they need to be told through the eyes of established Walking Dead characters? And to answer that question, yes, they probably do, because the one with the kids died a horrible, gruesome death, and Fear the Walking Dead, even though uh, they tried transporting some of the uh, core cast of Walking Dead over to it, it, it had its own problems from the get-go, and I think it just couldn't recover. I've already told you my thoughts on having... Maggie and Negan together, and that still holds promise. But to bus Daryl out so far seems self-defeating. It doesn't really work for me. And I don't know how many other fans out there liked it. I did enjoy seeing another, again, another big bad group of people, another hostile uh, another community out there to try and rule what's left of this world and just how how crummy people can be. There are so many like issues that I had with this series when it comes to human nature. We're well past the point of uh, everyone trying to figure out what to do next and no one willing to work together and now we have scientists, you know, again importing walkers to experiment on which <laughs> okay uh and i know everyone's trying to look for a cure or a way to you know stop the walkers or wherever this is going to go i won't even get to the story about the kid because i'll let you i know spoilers but um all in all it, it was cool to see daryl on his own in fact that was the only redeeming part while Daryl is making, what I would think, rookie mistakes, it's still kind of fun to see him out of his element and still doing what Daryl does best. He, at heart, is he is a fighter. 
and to see him kind of improvise and to do some of these things and him not having his atypical gear that we're so used to him carrying about in Walking Dead, it was kind of fun and a little refreshing take on the character. So I'll, I'm sure I'll come back for season two. I'm, I know there'll be a season two because Daryl's just too popular not to have. But hopefully uh, they, they think it through a little bit better. What else? So, what did I see? Oh, so, um, the going into movies and stuff that I would like to see, uh, we are uh, a week into Five Nights at Freddy's. I saw it on the special screening night, and okay, it's PG-13, and everyone knows my stance on horror films that are PG-13. It just doesn't work. I really am of the firm belief that it needs to be R. Now, other side of this, it really does feel like an episode of Goosebumps. So, given the age bracket and what Five Nights at Freddy is trying to appeal to, I get it. But there's some serious misses. There is no phone guy. There's plenty of opportunities for him, but they just don't have him. I was waiting for some more, like, intense action with, you know, the animatronics and all of that. The story, albeit is good and very reminiscent of a video game, still kind of falls flat in explaining some of the holes. There's a few things that I'm sitting there scratching my head at the end of the film of, like, well, what about this and what about that? And I don't want to give any spoilers because we're still within the first week, but it's okay. I had a conversation in the lobby after the film, and they're like, well, I think this is the greatest adapted, you know, movie, video game of all time. And I'm like, mm, let's rethink that. I think it's good, yes, and maybe comes in as a good solid number two, but Super Mario Brothers, the animated one that just happened, really hit a lot of pluses and checked more boxes for me than Five Nights at Freddy's. Having played the game and done all of the, you know, achievements as possible, I'm still kind of... Mm, there's some opportunities, there's some holes. Now, Matthew Lillard, I know, has signed on for a three-movie deal, and by no means is this the end of Five Nights at Freddy's. And I know it's, like, encroaching on records. Everybody is loving the film, and I'm not saying I hated it, but I'm not, like, enamored with it as everyone else is. There are some gray areas and character developments, and I'm kind of curious to see what they do for moving forward with Matthew Lillard's character and the and and Freddy and his crew. We don't get a whole lot of answers at the end. We just get kind of an end, which again, hanger cliffhangers ready for, you know, the second installment and it will be coming. My only hope is they fix it. They fill the holes. Give me some more information because there's I I count two glaring misses in the film. And you don't think about it until the end, as they kind of explain everything. And I don't want, again, no spoilers, but there are two key elements that I think that were overlooked and kind of missed, unless it's a setup for the next film, and that very well may be it. But I'm, I'm, mm, it's fine. It's entertaining, and if you're looking to take your kids to it, then this is actually not a bad film to introduce them to horror, and if they have played the game, you're not seeing anything that's not any more gruesome or intense than some of the drama that happens within the game itself. So, my thoughts on it? It's it's good. It's fine. I don't mind it. 
I just just expected better. And Super Mario Brothers is still the best video game to film to date, in my opinion. Guess I'm gonna put my opinion in there because I'm sure everyone else is gonna throw something else at me, and that's fine. I have no problems defending my standpoint because Super Mario gave us so much. They gave us characters, they gave us situations, they gave us the feel of the game come to life, and there was no beating that. Five Nights at Freddy's does give us some jump scares, and it does build quite well on the tension point while telling a decent heartfelt story. So there are not losses in this. It's a close second, I'll give you that, but Mario, still top for me, anyway. What else? Uh, Moving along, oh, also in Star Wars news, we will be getting a season four of The Mandalorian. It looks like they're going to focus on um, replacing Cara Dune with The Mandalorian, so whatever series or show that they had planned for that uh, has been shelved. Uh, Cara Dune may or may not be dead. I mean, it's a pretty good indicator that it's that's her arm in the shuttle uh, with Moff Gideon that got, you know, liberated and her hand is kind of sitting there frozen in space. But they are saying that season four has been written and this is coming from uh, Filoni and Favreau and they are uh, already written and uh, plan to continue the story. I'm curious to see how this is going to go. Um, I'm 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 really I I loved the show, and I like what they did with bringing in the other Mandalorians. But I kind of miss the whole spaghetti western style story that we were getting with Mando. To be honest with you. So if we can get back to like focusing on Din Djarin, and I know everyone and Pedro Pascal has said he is fine with letting K- Katie Sackhoff uh, take the lead moving forward with the Mandalorian series, but I don't know. I kind of dug the, the, the you know, the spaghetti western style. Yeah, but, you know, what do I know? In semi-comic book news, uh, we have Invincible showrunners uh, have announced that they have kind of like a two-season break coming up uh, for season two. Uh, They're going to break up the show for the second season. They've got a few of the episodes done, and I think that there were issues with production and all of that. Season 2 is premiering on November 3rd, and it looks like they've got a few episodes uh, done, but they haven't announced when the second half of Season 2 will come back. It looks like everyone's coming back for their characters, which is great. I thought everyone that was voiced in that show did a spectacular job, and this hit all of like the high points for me based on the comic, the characters, and like I said, once you got past that first ish episode, holy crap, it was like one of the best comic book shows out there. So, And even Kirkman had just huge praise for everybody involved, and you know, that's gotta warm your heart, because there really is no, you know, idea? It's, it's a comic book. How do you bring, and, and it's another animated series, so you're not really out there doing it. You're just lending your voice. So to get Kirkman's, you know, A-OK on it even warms my heart more. So we get season two, and it seems like they're doing this weird multiverse thing, and I, mm, we'll see 
if that if how well that's going to work, I have huge expectations. I mean, huge expectations for season two of Invincible. It will be back on Amazon. Like I said, it'll be premiering um, November third, which is right around the corner. So you know where I'm going to be. I don't think they're going to. I don't know. They didn't say whether or not they're going to drop all of the episodes at once, or if we're going to just see. Uh, a, a, a weekly installment up until the point where they give us the mid-season r- r- cliffhanger or the the halt till next year. And since it's Halloween, let's talk about Frankenstein. Actually, this story I was very excited to read. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is doing Frankenstein, if you didn't know. And he recently added Christoph Waltz as one of the principal actors to the film. He was quoted in saying, I'm doing Frankenstein. We're working on it. We started shooting in February, and it's a movie I've been waiting to do for 50 years since I saw the first Frankenstein. So he's adapting Mary Shelley, I believe, and knowing del Toro as close to the the fictional uh, written work as, as, as the book can be. I, I, he does such an amazing job at storytelling. He went on to say, I had an empathy, and it's basically a movie that required a lot of growth and a lot of tools that I couldn't have done 10 years ago. So at least he knows his limitations. He went on to say, now I'm brave or crazy enough or something, and we're going to tackle it. Uh, it's uh, He has Oscar Isaac, Andrew Garfield, Christoph Waltz, Mia Goth. And we're all working on it. And that was his final quote. So to see all of this kind of come together, I'm curious, who's he? I, what's Christoph Waltz going to do? Who's he going to play? What's what 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 what? I could honestly see Christoph Waltz playing Doctor Frankenstein. I don't see him really necessarily doing the monster because it's just he's not he's too small. But could you imagine him as Doctor Frankenstein? Christoph Waltz has de- delivered some of the most amazing screen presence uh, I have ever seen. His delivery on dialogue, just his overall personality, and just. I, I want to say boyish charm, but that literally it is. He's sitting on the other side of the table threatening this guy with this grin from ear to ear just before he shoots him. I mean, come on. Christoph Waltz is a genius. I absolutely love this guy. So to see him coming on with uh, the ride for Frankenstein and Del Toro, absolutely can't wait to see it. Uh, of course, there is no uh, date for this yet, but <sighs> soon enough. Uh, coming out of New York Comic Con, which was a couple of weeks ago, Jason Aaron was announced that he will be taking over Superman in 2024. Uh, Jason Aaron has done some amazing stuff. I loved his run on The Avengers. I loved his run on Thor. He's delivered... I mean, he basically kind of revamped a lot of uh, Thor stuff and put together an incredible run. So I'm curious, am I actually, I might, I might, I just might actually read a Superman uh, comic. I haven't read him in years. He's, I, I just don't care. I'm not a big Superman fan. I know I'm more of a Batman guy. Sorry. Uh, but in uh, the press release, he, Aaron went on to say he's definitely going to be featuring uh, Bizarro, which... Okay, uh, I don't think we've abused the Bizarro storyline too much, and he is kind of a villain. That would be fun to see through the eyes of Jason Aaron. 
Uh, just simply because of what he did. I mean, he, when he created Gore, Gore the God Butcher, which got butchered in the Thor film, but in the comic, that character is intense. Absolutely masterfully written. And I am just sad that the movie didn't deliver even a quarter of how cool that character was in the comic. But to give that kind of reign and free run with uh, Bizarro, and he say, and, and Aaron, Jason Aaron has said, uh, the worst Bizarro story ever told, which, you know, Bizarro backwards. He's totally in, in, in the mindset of it. I'm excited to see what he delivers based on his track record. He has definitely proven he knows how to spin a story. Which brings me to reader mail, my take. And the question that was posed to me is um, the future of comics. Where do I see it going? Uh, and, and what is going on in the industry? Now, having let me throw this out there to begin with. I have been across the country. I've done cons all year, and I have visited multiple regions uh, therein. So every major, not every major con, but damn near every major con out there I have been to, um, maybe not this year, but in previous years, and also have the ear of a few retailers. People not only based here in Colorado, but, you know, Kansas, California, New York, Chicago, Texas. Uh, there, It's a lot of retailers out there that I communicate with on a semi-regular basis. And while I answered the message directly, because at the time when it came in, I was I was compelled. I thought about this. And I'm thinking about the conversations that I've had with all of these retailers and all of these uh, presenters at all of the different conventions and listening to everybody just talk. I'm really good at listening. I know you wouldn't think that as much as I talk, but I really am good at listening. <laughs> so while I responded directly to the the message, I want to expand on that. And I want to start with how and what's going on in the industry. And we kind of have seen this in the past, and I cited this directly in my message that comic books were kind of on the downward trend, and it's been this interesting wave of peaks and valleys, and we're already in the downward trend. The last time we saw this downward trend was just before the Marvel Cinematic Universe started. So once we get that those movies started again, we saw an amazing uptick, and it's been a great ride. And of course, I think that the success of comic books was definitely prolonged with COVID. Everyone's staying at home, doing their their part, and just consuming media, and that's where we're at. We're 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 past that. COVID taught us a lot of things. COVID COVID definitely taught everybody that anything you want is available online. You can find it cheaper, you can find it better, you can find it faster. So the con world is now seeing a very interesting influx of people. The attendance is up and the fans are out there and, and they're, again, consuming as much as they can. But it's not media, it's experience. And I keep preaching this to people and I, I know some of them are listening and some of the people whose ear I do have and that I've interacted with and even coming down to my own con that I'm a co-founder with for Colorado Festival of Horror, we've taken to heart. Anything is for purchase. 
you can go to Amazon, you can go to eBay, you can go directly to the manufacturer itself. HasLabs has broken the mold on toys. They are producing fan-driven content that these are the things that people have always wanted to see in a physical form. Same thing with Super 7, who I preach every day as far as how cool the content that they're creating. Quality? Eh, that's a different subject for a different time. But as we've seen media shrink, we have seen the expanse of collectibles and toys and physical things. Again, some of it is cheaper, but it's a little bit more regulated. When you're dealing with the comic side of it, we are definitely back in the downward trend. And I want to say that it would have happened sooner if not for COVID. After we had the final conclusion to the Infinity Saga for Marvel, there is definitely a gasp for air. Everyone had been on this ride for 10 years. Comic books had seen outrageous sales that were very similar to back in the 90s and then the early aughts. And there's that wave. Right around like the 90s and the speculators and all of that were along for the ride to get in, buy as much of the you know variant covers and the exclusives and all of that in hopes of flipping it later. I'll get to the flipping in a second. Then, all of a sudden, the bubble popped, and the speculators got out. They realized what was going on and realized, eh, this isn't going to work. So you saw that flow back. Then, we, you know, have this nice little lull, and again, just kind of this interesting wave that took us right into the 2000s, and then right when 2010 hit, boom, we see another spike. So it kind of goes in almost, now don't quote me on this, 10-year intervals, and you can kind of see it as far as how it goes. Now, I am going to say something that is probably going to piss a lot of people off, and that's fine. I'm not paid to, well, you could pay me, and I will be, you know, on your side, or I will deliver your message as best as humanly possible, but uh, I don't think Whatnot is doing the comic book industry any favors. In fact, I would almost say that part of the current state of comics is their fault. The model of the QVC of comics and live stream sales, albeit has helped sales in some regard, but I think it's also been as just as much as a hindrance. You've got these pump and dump personalities that are getting in there, blowing up these new issues, and then, you know, just dumping them. I've seen some of these whatnot sellers using the exact same dialogue every week to explain their latest, greatest craze. And I understand, coming up with content is not always an easy task. But to see what whatnot has done and the damage that they have caused, there are a lot of content creators out there that are doing a good job. Don't get me wrong, and I think some of them are spectacular. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, get overlooked because they're not a busty blonde peddling comics to keep a person's attention. Some of them are actually delivering quality content, information, and books that deserve attention. And they have acquired quality product, which is the other side of the coin. Now, interesting stories. Whatnot has pulled out of all of Fan Expo appearances. They will not be tabling or having a booth or anything of those regards at Fan Expos. So, seeing the writing on the wall. 
their footprint was huge up until the beginning of this year. They had a, a, a media empire, if you will, as their personalities and content creators are up there slinging books, slab books, new books, variant cover books, exclusives, all have you. The problem is what not let too many people in. There's too many creators. There's too many people on it. Now you have artists that are out there doing live stream sales when they could very well and easily do it on their own platform or on TikTok or on Twitter or even Facebook. And I know as archaic as that may sound, it's still easier. I know they're doing it for the mass appeal, but I think Whatnot has outstayed its welcome. You have a lot of collectors out there that don't even consider the information or the sales viable on Whatnot. A lot of the people that I've talked to uh, have been more upset with the response and the product that they received from sellers on TikTok versus the people that have had a good experience. I have a lot of friends that sell items on Whatnot. And I'm not trying to just pick on them specifically because the problem is much more rooted than them. They're just the, the easiest target right now because they're the one that's front and center as they push out to the masses, you need this. And literally, it is like QVC. <laughs> and I, I, I applaud the approach. It's an amazing platform. The technology behind it is spectacular and very well thought out. But I think it needs to be retooled, and you need to rethink the execution. You need to have some kind of guideline, some kind of driving force. And again, it can't be the busty blonde that is trying to peddle whatever latest issue that she picked up that she thought it was great, and someone's just feeding her lines. There does need to be some kind of knowledge and accountability, and someone with a personality that can deliver it in a, a, a digestible format. And I'm not talking me, I'm too busy, but if you want to pay me, then I'll be more than happy to come over to your side of the fence. Here's the deal, though. The bubble was going to pop. It was only a matter of time. And like I said, COVID prolonged the damage. It just sustained it a little bit longer, drove prices up a little bit higher, and now you have all of these individuals that are trying to get back to normal life and sell these items. So when that happens or people are trying to get out from underneath whatever they overspent on and now that the economy is not as great as it should be, are trying to get out. Understandable. But now prices are going back in the opposite direction. And it happens. It's the comic book world. They're, it's hot today, gone tomorrow. And it really just depends. You have all of these stories that have survived, you know, years, decades, that will come back to their, their, their zenith, if you will, in the prices. But the problem is where we're currently at. Old comic books are still always going to be old comic books. They are always going to have a value. Some greater than others. Golden Age, Silver, Bronze, always will have their footholds. I had a person ask me, what do I do with all of the Golden Age comic books that I find or in the collections that I purchase? I keep them. <laughs> Golden Age is is harder and harder to come by, and some of the stuff that I have found, albeit may not be in the greatest of condition, but it is still in a sellable condition, and it is still finite of a resource. Silver Age is a little more ple more prevalent, but still, some of those things are still harder to come across. Um, case in point, 
first appearance of the High Evolutionary, I had the, the hardest freaking time to track down uh, that was in decent condition and not extremely overpriced. But the pricing is, is its own animal, and everyone should be able to price their product at whatever price they want to. I'm not here to dictate or tell you that this is wrong or right or whatever it may be, but sometimes the prices of slab versus raw and all of that really get muddied and become convoluted in so many ways, and I'm not going to bore you with it. If you want, email me or message me, and maybe I'll just give you my thoughts on it. The problem is the publishers. I was in uh, a shop not that long ago. Wednesday was, of course, the big release day. All the new titles come in, everything, and it was quiet. There was nobody in the store. And th that's almost unheard of. And to say, well, they're just not a good store. No, they're actually a very impressive store. And I'm not here to name names, but they do have a reliable pull system. They're, they're on top of their books, and it is a well-lit and beautiful store. It's not, you know, the crummy one-in-the-whole-wall type of corner, dark-lit, mouth-breathing, you know, you feel like you're going to get sepsis just by, you know, touching something. No, the store does have a, a staff that takes pride in their appearance. So, to be in there on a Wednesday, peak hour, and to see it completely dead is worrisome. I know print is dead or dying as we see bookstores close up across America and the most recent victim of course is the tattered cover here in Colorado. And I know you can get it cheaper on digital and I myself am actually guilty of buying a digital comic. And while my situation is probably different from other people's, a lot of me going digital is more of a space thing and a time thing than anything else on the road a lot, and if I like the story enough, I'm going to go into a shop and purchase the actual physical issue. I'm running low on space because of the size of my collection, and I'm either going to have to like get a house just for the collection or just kind of be more cognitive of my purchasing habits. I have a lot of the older stuff. I've got what I really want to collect. There are new things that are coming out. Let's face it, if I had the space, I'd buy that huge freaking Thunder Tank from Super 7. thing is awesome. But I got my eye on other things, and I want to be a little more picky as far as the remaining space, and it's not going to overflow into the rest of my house. I refuse to be that nerd. You're not going to come over to my living room and see, you know, toys laying about or different things. It stays where it needs to stay. So, I'm just as guilty as anyone else for digital comics. So, I know that everyone is kind of pulling back. I know print may or may not be dead, but let's look at the publishers. They are listening to the wrong people. And I'll say that flat right out. They're listening to the people that don't buy comics. They're being influenced by the ones that could care less. They just want to throw a tantrum, have you listen to them, get their way, and then move about their business. They're not buying comics, they're not driving the sales, they're not reading the stories, and you're curtailing and alienating uh, the, the people that built this, that put the foundation down. I'm not saying that stories and characters can't evolve, but at least keep it consistent or true to the character. Growth is natural, but to completely go back over a character and redefine them for no other reason than to check a certain box is ridiculous. Create a new character. Bring in somebody new. Be creative. 
let's not rework the characters that have already established and laid the groundwork so that we can be at this point to elevate the story, to elevate the reading experience. Stop being lazy writers. And the publishers, I don't know where they're going to be or where they're going to be sitting at the end of the year. I know sales are down. I've heard from retailers that sales are down. Some are seeing anywhere from 10 to 20% decrease in sales. I know the con where you have increased in attendance, but the retailers aren't seeing those increases. They are seeing decreases actually in sales. And again, COVID taught us one thing everything is available online. So you have these retailers that are selling the same thing. There's very little difference from one booth to the next except for genre. So when they're selling the same thing and you've got, you know, five different plushie salespeople and they're all selling Pokemon, what does that do to the buyer? It limits your options and unless you're smiling and engaging people or if you're that one guy that's hunched over in a ball behind the desk, they're not going to see you and they just keep on walking. So, the retailers are seeing a decline in sales at cons, even though traffic and attendance is up because everybody wants an experience. So what's the answer? It's a good question. I don't know if I have it. And, again, it relies a lot on the publisher. They're creating stories and characters that may or may not reach out to the readers, and the ones that they're trying to reach may or may not be buying comics. And the ones that I do know that read... It doesn't apply to them, and they lose interest. They they would rather move on to something else, and everyone has that choice to read what they like, read what they want, read to what speaks to them. And opening your, your horizons and reading other stuff is never a bad thing, and I promote it quite heavily. Image Comics produces some of the most unique written stories and characters and ideas but that's just it. They present it. It's it's there. It's written well. It's not pandering. It's not <laughs> the Panderverse, which South Park, yeah, that's enough. that that's next week's podcast. The they're not pandering to the smaller percentiles. The the publishers gotta get back to telling good stories. The publishers have gotta get back to their the, the, the their audience. No no one no one's there for them at the end of the day. We have the dawn of DC, which is them relaunching uh, a lot of their titles that have been on hiatus for about a year, and there is hope. I'm not saying that they're not listening to everybody, and it's a difficult road, not only for the publishers, but even for the readers and everyone along in this. Is the comic book industry dead? No. I mean, it's too strong of an entity, and I haven't been able to confirm any of, like, the digital comic sales or anything else like that. When I get a chance, I'll, I'll get around to it. But as far as, like, the printed product and everything else that we've seen in the last ten years, that's on the decline. No doubt about it. But there's hope. There's a chance. I think if publishers think about it, if they really seriously give it some thought... They can come up with the answers. They just got to take the time. They just really have to invest in the writing. Stay true to the characters. These are characters that have been established for decades. These are characters that have spanned generations at this point. Stay true to that. Give them situations of how they would deal with it. If you want to create a new character, then create a new character. It's not difficult. And I know everyone is like, well, if you create a new character, nobody cares, no one pays attention. It's not true. 
you can still create a new character and 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 bring them along don't immediately throw them into their own title but if you do it right if you cultivate and grow the 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 story and the character and add substance to them it's great there are no bad characters there's just bad stories and not every story is gonna win win a you know a Bram Stoker award one of the things a mentor of mine said not everything is going to be an Oscar and I agree there are been projects that I've delivered that ooh they mmm not too pretty but there are other ones that I have nailed out of the park and it is again a difficult thing you can't always be on but at least be smart deliver something that people are going to want to read something that is compelling and if you develop a character that people want to see and 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 do it in the right way then you win not only do you still have the already established character but now you've got this new one <sighs> i don't mean to get off on a rant and i apologize if this is bulge door if this is bored you <laughs> couldn't even get the word out of my mouth but it's a topic that's close to my heart Comics got me into this world. I remember, you know, the happy little eight-year-old that was inside of me that skipped down to the, the corner store that picked up his first comic and was just ever since then hooked. And it's carried me this far. I, it's, my career, what I'm currently doing, has been based off of that little eight-year-old's experience. And albeit, yes, I've had other big boy jobs and I have been in corporate America, I've owned my own businesses, I've done all these things, but at the core, I've always been this little eight-year-old boy that loves comics. Even when I was playing sports, I was still the eight-year-old that likes still and looks forward to getting home and reading a comic. Even now, long road trip, weekends of selling and talking and presenting and doing what I do, I still come home and I read a comic. It's part of who I am. It's a, a core feature that a lot of people don't get, and that's okay. It's not for everybody. Comics are not meant for everyone. I get it. And every once in a while when I get to go off on a rant and explain how much I love horror comics because that was the next step for me and some of the EC stuff and, and the Bernie Wrightson's art and all of that stuff from back in the day is just glorious. I get excited. I get passionate about it because it was fun. And it's still fun. There's a lot to be said for comics. And I don't think we have seen the end of them. I think there is... I think we're at a really interesting time where comic books are about to change. I think we're about to see a massive swing towards... Um, I don't want to say the extinction of the brick-and-mortar store, but whatnot did a lot of damage to the, the mom-and-pop shop. And I think we're about to see something a little bit different. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. Uh, and with toys on the uprise as they are, well, it, it may sustain again the comic book shop until the next 10-year swing. But that's a long, long time to wait for an uptick. So we'll see. I'll keep you apprised. I'll let you know what I think. If you got some input or if you've got some thoughts or if I missed something, by all means, shoot me a message. But that's just my take. And um, there you go. And final story, only because I'm looking forward to Brickfest, uh, Lego finally responded about the new collectible minifigs box. 
that is out and driving collectors nuts and is actually really getting a lot of negative backlash. I don't know how you can be angry at Lego. I mean, all they want to do is is spread joy to children around the world and give them pres. Oh no, that's Santa. No, what they want to do is is build an experience, and I I love them for that. Brickfest is uh, November, I think fourth. No, November 18th. November 18th here in Colorado. I'm excited to go. I'm, I'm eagerly waiting my, my exclusives and all of that. But Lego was is under fire because of the new cardboard box. Now, believe it or not, the people that developed this box spent years working on it. The whole reason of the cardboard box, yes, is to kind of cut down on collectors being able to fill up the bags and see what figure is in there. It's made it difficult to find some of the more rarer chase minifigs, but also it has helped uh, individuals not ending up with doubles and leaving things left behind for other people to buy. The cardboard boxes are actually in design more for uh, the environment. They want to be more biodegradable, they want to be environment friendly, and the aluminum bags are not that. So with the cardboard boxes, this was actually one of the things they settled on. They had a lot of other things in the works, and they they this is this is the one that they settled on. I'm curious what the other versions and models looked like, but this is what they decided on. So now in stores you're seeing just opened cardboard boxes because people want to know what's in there because they don't want the joy of discovery which is the other thing Lego is very adamant about that's why they're doing it this way they want the the discovery the the endorphin rush of opening up it is like crack I mean it is gambling it is scratchers in cardboard boxes <laughs> the only thing is you absolutely get a prize because there's a little minifig in there so now, I've actually seen it myself that the stores are littered with kind of like ripped open boxes and minifig pieces just kind of laying about because uh, other people have come after the person who ever opened it. Or the other person that opened it was rather sloppy in doing so just to see what minifig was inside of it. So, what's the, what's the solution? What's the answer? After these poor creators got roasted um, by consumer groups and fans and collectors and everything else. And these poor guys, they're just following orders. They designed the box, they put it all together, and they got berated by the fans. And I feel bad for them. You know, they, they didn't do anything wrong. They were just following orders. And this maybe comes more from the Lego high-ups or whatever have you. But I still feel bad for them. But they said that they realized that there's some opportunities to fix it. The problem is it's not an easy fix. They're looking at at least three to four waves of minifigs uh, before they can uh, rectify the situation. It's not something that they can just hit an e-brake on and reset. So they have multiple factories across the country and everyone's on board, everyone's doing the same thing and to adjust at this stage gonna take some time so it looks like we're gonna be seeing those little cardboard boxes hanging from wherever for a while I'm fine with it I enjoy the the, the minifig hunt I've picked up a few they're enjoyable I dig it and you know well I look forward to seeing what the next set is going to be so 
there you have it. And on that bombshell, we shall say goodbye. <laughs> I gotta go do some trick-or-treating. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I hear the call of candy. No, I just want to go out and run around in my Ghostbuster suit and, you know, have some fun with the kids. So uh, that's about as close as I want to get to it. <laughs> in the meantime, we will be back in a week or so to give you guys some updates. we got some new events coming up in November, some appearances, and an interesting event that will be happening at the Alamo Draft House here in uh, Colorado with yours truly, uh, facing off against uh, the Horror Society. I'm very excited about this. So come back next week, and I'll be more than happy to fill you in on it. In the meantime, run fast, laugh hard, and always be kind. Good night! <laughs>